welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about headlines on Dr. Carol's Couch. That's to say that I am putting the top, the most interesting of today's headlines on my couch. It's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I have a number of uh, very cool ones in each category. (laughs) So, let's start with the good. First of all, today, um, I spent some time this morning watching an interview of Jeff Bezos and his crew, the um, people that flew into space, or at least, uh, uh, you know, somewhat, uh, the race to space above the, uh, above the Earth, and... Um, and it was amazing. You know, the thing is that with all the news being so, uh, just so gloomy, um, it is so nice. You know, I think, I think maybe we, I mean, of course, this is really exciting no matter when this came out, but this is something that we all really need, something that we can look forward to. In other words, uh, despite the pandemic and, and some of the, um, tragedies in the pandemic, just, you know, a feeling of helplessness that we have uh, in, in face of the pandemic, this um, space race, uh, you know, this achievement um, really it gives us the feeling that there are scientific ways, um, there are new things that we can do. Uh, to, um, that we had never done before, which includes, ultimately, finding a cure and finding better prevention for COVID. So let's hear about, um, let me tell you some more about uh, this, this um, space race. You know, it's um, Branson uh, won the space race in a sense because he was the first one to go up into space. But Bezos in his Blue Origin um, they, he uh, traveled 13 miles higher. I mean, don't you love it? These, these macho men trying to beat each other in every which way. Um, you may have gone first, but I'm going higher. You know, <laughs> that's, that's typical. Um, and also what is more impressive in regard to Bezos is that um, his, he didn't just do this as a one-off to um, try to be one of the first in space and so on. Um, he actually has much more serious plans, space plans, and they are connected to his uh, passion for the Earth, his fears about um, climate change and that the Earth, we're destroying the Earth, and uh, he is, you know, in a a sense, um, in part, it was interesting when he did the interview because he didn't want to say it quite, (laughs) quite as, I guess um, you didn't want to shock people too much. Um, but really what he was saying was that there was going to be coming, a, t- a time was going to come when um, we would need to leave the earth. It's kind of like the movie Wally. Um, 
I did a I did a show about Wally not too long ago. You can check it out. And Wally is the 2008 movie, uh, animated movie in which Wall W A L L dash E, uh, a robot, saved the Earth by. Um, figuring out a way to get people to get off the Earth on a spaceship, nonetheless. I think, I'm sure Jeff Bezos watched the movie Wally probably several times. In any case, um, so he's not just thinking that this is about fun and games. He's thinking he wants to save the Earth. Now, I must um, put a little aside here to say that Jeff Bezos is not my favorite person other than this because... He has put a lot of people out of work with his um, uh, with Amazon. You know, it was one thing. It was great. I mean, he built it from nothing, and he talked about that today. How you little you can start big things with little steps, and he was making the point that his flight today was a little step, a first step, and uh, and that big things can come from it, just like Amazon grew. Um, so, you know, I, it's one thing to have, have it be a place for books. It's great. Um, but to just take over everything, you know, everything that you could buy. And yes, during the pandemic, of course, I was one of the people too, uh, I'm sure just like you ordering, um, things from Amazon. I mean, I must say it is amazing that they come in record speed. You just type on the computer and they're here the next day. But in any case, I, it's, it, he, it's a monopoly, and so it shouldn't be allowed to exist in this form. Nonetheless, getting back to the good thing that he did, um, this, he, this was when he, and when he explained the thinking behind it, how it was created in a way, uh, not just for this one kind of flight, this one rocket, but really in, in ways to be able to prepare for future, bigger and better future of bigger and better rockets and whatever else he has in mind. So it is very exciting. And um, apparently um, he had a dream uh, when he was was 18 years old. He was a Star Trek fan. This is how it all began. And um, he told a newspaper then uh, that he had plans to go into space. He wanted to, you know, be like Star Trek. And he founded Blue Origin in 2000 to chase this childhood dream of space flight. And now 21 years later, and um, many billions or trillions of dollars, I've lost track, um, he has been able to make this dream come true. He did apparently thank Amazon shoppers for buying things so that he would have the money to make his dream come true. What I thought was particularly um, wonderful, and she was, you know, I watched the whole interview from when they came back and they had pictures, of course, and you may well have have as well watched this, but if you haven't, be sure to Google it because it really is, we need this kind of up, literal uplifting during this time of the pandemic. One of the people on board this space flight was a woman named Mary Wallace. Uh, her nickname is Wally Funk. And she is the oldest she has become through going up in this uh, space rocket. Um, she has become the oldest person to visit space. And she is 82 years old. 
and she, I mean, she's incredibly uh, spry. She was the one on the stage, so there were the four of them, you know, the four of them who had gone up uh, in the space flight. And she was the one who kept jumping up when it was her turn to talk. You know, the others were sitting down. Eventually, Jeff Bezos uh, got up when, in a later part of the program. But she was the one, whenever it was her turn to talk, she would jump up. <laughs> she was so excited. Uh, she wants to go again. She says that she, uh, she you know, wants to go again as soon as possible. And um, she was just uh, so excited. And... She has been training uh, to be an astronaut since 1961. She, she has an amazing story. Um, she, it started when she was a little girl, and she was growing up in New Mexico. Her parents owned a variety store, and she was always captivated by planes. And when she was one years old, her parents took her to an airport near where they lived, and she got up close to a plane, an early airliner, and she went right up to the wheel, and she tried to turn it, and her mother said, she's going to fly. And she became interested in mechanics and built model airplanes and ships and so on. And by the time she was seven, she was making planes from balsa wood. At nine, she had her first flying lesson. So um, then she wanted to take courses in high school. She wanted to take courses as a mechanical, in mechanical drawing and auto mechanics and so on. But because she was a girl, and this was, you know, uh, 19, let's see, she was born in 1939. So this was around, um, as I said, what did I say, 61? In any case, she was born in 1939, figure it out, 39 to 49 uh, in the 50s. Um, I my math <laughs> right now. I'm too too caught up in all of this. Uh, in any case, when she went to school back in the day, um, the girls did not take mechanical drawing and auto mechanics. Um, she had to take home economics. So she left high school. Imagine this. Um, she left high school when she was 16, and she went to Stevens College, and she became a member of what was called the Flying Susies. And she was first in her class of 24 flyers. She was graduated in 1958 with a pilot's license. So, yes, I was right. It was the 1950s that she was in high school and leaving high school and all of that. Okay, so then she completed a Bachelor of Science degree at, at Oklahoma State. And then in 1964, she was recognized as the youngest woman in the history of Stevens College to receive an Alumni Achievement Award. Anyway, she was moved on and on. She became, at 20 years old, she became a professional aviator, and she was uh, training other people to fly, and um, she ultimately became, um, got involved in 1961. She volunteered for the Women in Space program, and it, was, it didn't have, it wasn't an official government um, program, but she contacted the program and she talked all about her aviation experience, which was quite significant, especially for a woman at that time. And um, the recruiting age for the program was 25 to 40, but she was younger than that, but they still let her do it. And um, she was the youngest to be graduated from it. And on some, on some tests, she scored better than John Glenn. 
and um, they were called Mercury 13, the Mercury 13 program. Anyway, she went all through the program, and at the very end, uh, before the women were supposed to undergo their last test, this Mercury 13 program was canceled. So she missed her chance to go up in space when she was very young, and now she finally got it at age 82. That is such a cool story, and it proves um, you are never too old to make your dream come true. You know, that was, um, that was something that my mother proved. Um, she was a, she uh, wrote a children's book, Archibald Swiss Cheese Mountain, and she got all kinds of awards for it, and she got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Orange County Children's Book Festival, and, and we went all around Barnes & Noble and all over doing readings and at festivals and everything else, and that was her dream. And she then became, she did lots of speaking engagements as well, and she then became proof. Oh, because, yes, I left it out. She had written the book earlier in her life, um, you know, when she was in her 50s or so, but um, had to put it away when her father died, and and, uh, even the teacher had said in the class that she was taking, writing for the juvenile reader, her teacher said this is publishable material and gave her a list of publishers. But before she could do that, my mother's father died, my grandfather, and um, she was not in the mood to start pursuing, you know, book publishers. So she put it away, and then many years later, when she was 90 years old, um, I took it out. I had been reading it to my daughter, and, um, and I took it out, and I found a publisher for her. And that is how this all began or re-began. And um, anyway, she was proof and she was, you know, people loved her when she gave these speeches because, you know, she was, uh, well, she lived to 101 and a half and she was still promoting her book to the last day. And, um, and so she was proof, uh, even older than Wally Funk. <laughs> she was, was proof that um, you could, you can, you're never too old to make your dreams come true. So, with that, I will go on to the next part. That, that was the good. We're talking about headlines, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, now we're going to be talking about the bad. And what do you think the bad is? The bad is COVID. And I have very, some really interesting stories to tell you about COVID. Of course, one story is, the first story is, there was just a study done that showed that people are sick of hearing about COVID. So I'm sorry if I, I, I picked out stories that are things that you would not likely have heard before. I mean, all we hear, again, I mean, now COVID has come back to America and some places worse than others. Um, but the statistics are really bad. You know, it's, it's showing, we, we all thought it was over, right? I mean, that's the worst part of it, that it was, um, we're all beginning to get excited that this whole horrible uh, lockdown and everything else was over, and it's like not so fast. Um, it's particularly, of course, the Delta variant, and um, that has been, um, unfortunately, reversing our feelings of, um, of how we thought that it was over. So um, let me tell you, one story that, as an example of some of the others that I'm going to tell you about that you wouldn't have heard about, um, oh, yes, you know, uh, there, there is, there was recently an announcement 
from Johnson and Johnson that another warning to add to their list of warnings of side effects. And the warning was about the Guillain-Barre syndrome. Now, I heard about this first on the radio, and they just made such light of it. Oh, Johnson & Johnson is put adding a warning. You know, that there are a few rare cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, and it is um, something that has to do with the immune system. End of story. They just made it, like, so minor. Well, first of all, it turns out that there were at least uh, 100 people who developed this side effect. And second of all, Guillain-Barre syndrome is a very, very serious disorder. Yeah, it is where the immune system attacks the nerves, and it causes weakness, especially in the legs. It causes pain, and it can cause paralysis. There are people who get this who have to spend six to eight months and more with doing physical therapy, um, trying to be able to walk again. And um, in my work as a physician, um, you know, in the hospital, especially when I was doing my internal medicine um, studies, uh, internship and sub-internship and all of that, um, I saw people with Guillain-Barre. It's, very, it's relatively rare. Uh, but, um, I, for example, one of the patients I remember was in a wheelchair, uh, and he never got better. And it was after getting a, uh, a, um, a vaccine for a virus, of course, not COVID at that time, back in, in those years, um, but also a virus, a, a vaccine against a virus. And I think they are putting it together that, um, you know, whatever the viral components are. Well, actually, you know, they found it was something in the vaccine. In any case, the bottom line was back in the day and even now, apparently, there is something in the vaccine that can cause this illness. And so um, it is, you know, it's not like just, it's not like, uh, you know, (laughs) they usually talk about you get a pain in your arm or it gets swollen or red or you have a headache, or you feel like you have the flu, those kinds of things. Guillain-Barre is not on the level of feeling as though you have the flu. Uh, You can go look it up. It is much more serious. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a story of a student who had already had, not from the vaccine or or, or COVID, but already had uh, Guillain-Barre, and... um, she was denied admission to her college and she lost a scholarship. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there and I'll tell you more when we come back. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about, well, where we're putting headlines on my couch, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've already talked about the good. That was Jeff Bezos's spacecraft that um, uplifted us from our doldrums as far as the pandemic, um, and also the uh, oldest woman to be, on, to be flying into space. Mary Wallace, or also called Wally Funk, her nickname, 82 years old, and uh, teaching us that you are never too old to reach your dreams. So now, before the break, I started telling you, so now we're into the bad. The bad is about uh, COVID-related things. So um, I was starting to tell you about the student. Her name is Olivia Sandor, and she um, had Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, an immune disorder where the immune system attacks the nerves. And um, she was 18, she is 18 years old, and she had gotten a scholarship for $200,000 to go to Brigham Young University, the campus in Hawaii. And this was her dream school. So not only did she get in, but she got this huge scholarship and she was all excited. Until um, she sent in a request for an exemption from having to get the COVID vaccine. It is pretty outrageous that not just this college, but so many colleges, if not most, um, have, are requiring college students to get the COVID vaccine before they come back, which is really having a terrible effect on college students and uh, potentially entering college students, you know, people um, who, who worked so hard in high school to get into the college of their dreams uh, or perhaps were already in the college of their dreams and now they're having to um, get vaccines. Uh, it's, really, it's really pretty outrageous. It is really, and, you know, not only, of course, is, is it affecting a lot of these students because a lot of them are deciding the hell with it. I'm not going to go to college if, if I have to um, have the vaccine. Some of them are just going ahead and getting the vaccine. But the point is, with all of these things, um, that uh, it shouldn't be as... If you've listened to any of my or some of my previous shows, you know I feel very strongly about how 
um, we need to have the choice. None of us should be forced to do something or, or uh, something held out to us like college. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about, uh, I mean, you know, this is uh, something that, that, first of all, it benefits the person and also benefits the country, the more people who are college educated. So, um, so the idea that, that college students are being forced to get a vaccine is horrible, a really bad, stupid, stupid mistake. Um, there are other ways, you know, to protect themselves at college without having gotten the vaccine. Um, so now, anyway, she requested an exemption, and you can see where this is going. They denied her exemption, and they said that um, she couldn't go to that college, and they said that she could uh, come back. She could come, actually. She, should go to, she, she could go to the college when she is fully vaccinated, um, and, you know, when she, in other words, when she is well enough uh, to be fully vaccinated. Well, you don't get, I mean, she, that's not going to happen. Uh, I don't know that, you know, how severe her Guillain-Barre syndrome is at this point, but it is unlikely. It still would be, even if she fully recovered, it would still be very dangerous for her to get the vaccine. So, um, so she uh, decided that um, she is not going to go to the school. It's because it's not worth the risk. And I think she's going to try to find another school, but obviously it's not going to be her dream school. Um, now, the, the amount of COVID in America uh, right now, America, the cases in America of COVID have risen by 20, 224%. 224% in the last three weeks. And, of course, it's the Delta variant that is making up the majority, 83% of all new infections. Um, really, really uh, sad. Now, in the meantime, Fauci, we all know, if, you, if you're wondering how I feel about Dr. Fauci, just look back at the um, show I did about, that was all about Fauci. And where I talked about my website, one of, I started a new website um, called pleasefirefauci.com. Pleasefirefauci.com. And on that website, I have, a, I have lots of things. I have um, the Heal Myself anagram that I created of things that you should do to protect yourself, uh, build your immune system, keep yourself healthier physically and mentally. And I have reasons why we should fire Fauci. And I have a petition um, that you can sign. You can sign it anonymously. And I will then, when I get enough uh, signatures, I will be sending it to people who have the power to fire Fauci. Um, you know, you would think that we wouldn't be hearing anything more from him after the huge embarrassment of his emails being exposed, in which it was clear that he has been lying to us. Uh, he said things in his emails that were absolute lies from what he had said to us, notably things about his connection, how his close connection to um, the Wuhan lab and um, how he knew what was going on and, um, and, you know, various things about what he knew about, uh, you know, when he was telling us to not wear masks, um, he knew we should wear masks and vice versa. So, 
Um, so today, um, we just had, uh, there was just a, today or just, just yesterday, just recently, <laughs> um, there was, he was again called to Congress to answer questions, particularly by Rand Paul. And Rand Paul confronted him with the fact that um, even though Fauci has said all along that he knew nothing about, that this research in Wuhan was not what's called gain-of-function research, um, and that he really didn't know anything about COVID, and he, for a long time he was denying, uh, and to some extent even now, denying that COVID came from the lab in Wuhan. And um, so Rand Paul, uh, Senator Rand Paul, began his questioning of Fauci by reminding him that lying to Congress is a felony. And he asked him about what Fauci had said. He asked him, you know, that's the quotes from some of the things he had said when he came to Congress, when Fauci came to Congress in May. And he denied that the National Institute of Health uh, funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And um, Fauci, you would think he would, you know, be smart enough to say, oh, oh, I didn't really mean that, or, oh, did I say that? Something like that. But no, he just doubles down on it. He said, Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you're referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. Now, everybody know it has been written about, I'm sure you may well have heard about it in the media, read about it, um, the use these words gain of function, and um, yes, he had said on on May 11th, his exact words were the NIH National Institute of Health, of which his um, allergy part, uh, it, it, his, his part of the NIH. I mean, he is part of the NIH, so he's saying the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I, you know, I don't know why you would imagine that his nose, we could have all seen his nose grow longer. Um, so uh, Senator Paul said that according to the report he cited, a scientist at the Wuhan lab took an animal virus and increased its transmissibility to, hu to humans. Now, that is the definition of gain-of-function. In other words... The virus, an animal virus, gains function. They're, not, no, they're no longer just in animals. They now can be transmitted to humans. That's what it means. And certainly Fauci knows what gain of function means. And, um, but he still kept denying it. And, um, and anyway, you know, it, it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, and... And Fauci, after his emails came out, for a while Fauci went laid low. But now, well, I mean, I guess he didn't have any choice about you know, when he was called to Congress, but he's also been more in the media. And now he's so careful. Well, he obviously wasn't careful in Congress, but, I mean, he tries to be careful in the media by, um, by playing things both ways, by being in the middle, by not committing um, to things def specifically, de definitively, one way or the other. So that's a, those are bad things that happened, um, these things in terms of COVID. Um, 
also, let me tell you about what's also bad about COVID lately is at, and, and Fauci is an example of this as well. Um, and in fact, this is an example of what I was just saying, how Fauci kind of tries to play both ends against the middle. And th- I'm talking now about masks and kids. So the American Academy of Pediatrics just came out with a statement saying that kids, um, any child who is greater than two years old, has to wear masks. Um, you're talking particularly about at school. But any child greater than two years old has to wear a mask. And um, especially since most of those kids are not vac- vaccinated, thank goodness. Um, and also it would be hard for schools to know. In other words, if, you know, if they made the distinction that kids who were um, two or, or all kids um, had to be vaccinated, and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, the schools wouldn't know, and, and in fact, whether no matter what the age of the child, the schools don't know unless they ask if a child is vaccinated or not, and that really does um, cross the line into privacy. But the lines are being crossed right and left with COVID as an, with COVID as an excuse. Um, so anyhow, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they are stricter, and they say that if a child is over two, they have to wear a mask. Um, they, this is part of what the whole program that they recommend for schools that include vaccines, um, masks, and clean hands. Now, on the other hand, the CDC came out with a statement right around the same time. They are saying just now, just in the last day or two, they are saying that vaccinated students don't have to wear masks. And they're also saying that children younger than two should not wear masks. So two years old seems to be the, uh, the no man's land. The point, you don't know whether, depending upon whether you listen to the American Academy of Pediatrics or the CDC, you don't know whether to wear a mask or not. Um, but anyhow, so the CDC is saying if you are less than two years old, you should not wear a mask because there is a danger of suffocation and because babies and toddlers, which means they go even really beyond uh, uh, two, they're saying babies and toddlers, it's dangerous for babies and toddlers to wear masks because they may try, they may suffocate and they may try to remove the the mask, which makes the risk of um, COVID even greater. And that's because, you know, touching the mask with your hands, which may have been touching surfaces that had COVID on it or may have, you know, um, some, some, <laughs> your, some friend, um, classmate may have sneezed on it or something. Uh, so you don't want to dirty your mask. I mean, it, that's, just, that's not just for kids. We, um, you may well have heard about that, even adults. You're really not supposed to keep touching your mask, taking it off and on, and uh, that makes it more, more dangerous. So, um, so, you know, the other thing about students and masks that's important from a psychological viewpoint, of course, is that if, let's just say that uh, if, presumably a, a class might well have um, some students who are wearing masks and some students who aren't wearing masks. Like, for example, if the students with masks, like if these are older kids and the students with masks have gotten vaccinated because kids who are 12 and over are eligible for vaccination. So let's say this is a class of kids who are 
uh, 12 and over. And um, so some of them, let's say, got the vaccine and they wouldn't have to wear a mask depending upon, you know, <laughs> depending on who you want to listen to. Um, so if, if there were some kids in the class wearing masks and some kids not wearing masks, what do you think is going to happen? The kids wearing masks or not wearing masks, depending upon what the other kids think, are going to be bullied. They're going to be teased. They're going to be bullied. Just like people, adults, going into grocery stores. Some people don't like it when, when these people wear masks, so they, they try to intimidate them. Um, or some people don't like it when they don't wear masks, so they try to intimidate them. I mean, it is a whole mess. Uh, we have mask confusion. You get it? Mask. <laughs> Like mass confusion? This is mass confusion. I know. I think I am so funny. All right. <laughs> um, in addition to all of this, states are putting their their nose into it. And whatever they're saying, you know, regardless of what the American Academy of Pediatrics says or the CDC says, we're going to say this. And it varies according to the states. In California, for example, uh, their plan was to turn away kids who weren't vaccinated or, or turn away kids who weren't wearing masks. So, and needless to say, can you imagine that, the psychological damage of that? You go to school thinking you're going to be able to start school first day of class and they tell you you have to go home. Then California is now sort of thinking again about that. Um, I hope they, somebody may have maybe mentioned that. You're going to be, you're going to be um, traumatizing all the kids who you send home. And last but not least, let me say um, that, well, last but not least for this segment, let me say um, that just because children 12 years old and older are eligible for a vaccine doesn't mean that they should get the vaccine. I absolutely um, believe that children, uh, anybody below 20, first of all, I believe that nobody should be forced to get the vaccine, period, no matter what your age is. And second of all, um, for children especially, parents should not give their children, even if they're eligible for the vaccine, 12 or over, I say that parents should not give their kids the vaccine because there has not been enough research on kids to know what impact the vaccine would have on kids who 10 years later, whose brains and whose hearts are still growing. And, and then also the FDA is saying that it may come in midwinter that kids younger than 12 years old may be able to get the vaccine. That really, that is really scary. All right. Well, when we come back, I have another story, uh, another bad story, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I have another bad or maybe more sad story, but there's something you can do to help. And then I have the ugly stories, the good, the bad, the ugly. The uglies are the funny ones. Well, one of them is funny. One of them isn't so funny. But anyhow, stay tuned and you'll hear all about it. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about headlines. I am putting the headlines of the day on my couch, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I have the another bad story, although I'd really rather call it a sad story, but you can help. And this is the story of um, the dog, um, emotional therapy dog uh, named Teddy, who came to Florida, you know, the Surfside building collapse. Um, He's a six-year-old Basset Hound Labrador mix, and he, a very sweet dog, and he um, was worked, he is part of an organization called Crisis Response Canines. And they, he, he comes, he and his fellow dogs, um, come to places of crisis and try to help the people who are looking for their loved ones, um, who are grieving already for their loved ones, and the first responders. And he spent three weeks in Florida at the Surfside condo collapse um, helping everybody. And what this meant was that he had to, um, so this was, the collapse was on June 23rd. He spent three weeks there. And so this meant that he was work, walking on hot pavement, uh, constantly walking and climbing through wreckage, um, you know, sharp objects really difficult things to, to climb over. And so what happened was he finally, um, you know, his tour down there was over. And when he got home um, just, just one morning, a couple of days ago, he wasn't able, just out of the blue it seemed, he wasn't able to pick himself up. So they're thinking, you know, of course they had a vet see him, a couple of vets, and um, they have so far diagnosed him as having a possible herniated disc as well as a partial tear of his cranial crucial ligament in his knees. So you'd kind of, um, you know, you'd kind of, you could see where that might happen, walking over all these uneven surfaces, probably tripping on some of the wreckage, you know, that's so uneven and so on. And now he is um, unable to get up himself. So he needs help. So now he needs 
humans to show up for him just like he showed up for the Surfside condo collapse, uh, first responders and the victims, victims' families. So um, if you go to, if you look up, if you Google uh, crisis response canines or you, you know, or, and probably if you Google Teddy, um, you will find ways to contribute to his medical care because since they don't know yet, you know, exactly what it is um, and the things that they are thinking, herniated disc and uh, tear of the ligament in his knee, those are things that take a lot of rehab and a lot of perhaps probably even surgery, really. If it's a herniated disc, um, that would require surgery. So could you please look up, Google him, Google Teddy uh, the dog, <laughs> and... Um, and Google the Crisis Response Canines Organization, and I'm sure you will be able to find what you can do to help. Now, we are up to the ridiculous, the good or the ugly, I should say. <laughs> yes, we need a ridiculous. Well, okay, I know, I know, I got it. Um, I have an ugly and, and a ridiculous. I'm going to be adding a ridiculous to this, okay? Good, bad, the ugly, and the ridiculous. All right, the ugly. Um, really ugly. Um, ben and Jerry's ice cream. I'll bet you that you have tasted Ben and Jerry's ice cream. They are all over the world. I love Ben and Jerry's, or loved Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Cherry Garcia, that was one of my favorites. Um, and unfortunately, I am going to be boycotting Ben and Jerry's. I've already uh, put up a hashtag on on Twitter, boycott Ben and Jerry's. Why, you might ask? Because they have decided to stop selling ice cream, or selling anything, for that matter. And I don't know if they sell anything beyond ice cream, but whatever they sell, they ain't going to be doing it anymore in the West Bank. Um, and that is because they are considering that Israel is occupying the West Bank and East Jerusalem. So those are the places, West Bank and East Jerusalem, that's where they're going to stop selling their products. And um, they told it's long, their long-standing licensee in Israel that they won't renew the license agreement when it expires at the end of next year for these places. Um, and... Um, However, they will stay in Israel, in Israel, in, the, in, in Israel proper through a different arrangement. So they have gotten a lot of pushback, not just from me. Um, you know, ice cream is not supposed to be, I mean, this whole world has just gotten so divisive and so angry and so um, hateful against all different uh, ethnic groups, races, colors of people's skin, and it, religions, um, all of this. And um, it is not making anyone happy, quite frankly. <laughs> um, the haters aren't happy. It's not, the world isn't, you know, they live in the same world. And so um, it's not any better for them, even though they may feel happy, like uh, Ben and Jerry probably very, feel very satisfied with themselves. For having done this, uh, they think they're right. Of course, um, if people really read history, they would see that Israel is not occupying these places. They are, they, the lands that they're talking about have belonged to Israel from way, way back in history. 
But the people who are making the most noise about this, like Ben and Jerry, I will bet you that they did not do research into who, <laughs> who is the owner, the rightful owner of the West Bank and, um, and East Jerusalem. Um, somebody should uh, provide them with a history book. In any case, um, you know, and, and plus, you know what? It's so stupid because um, they're only depriving the Palestinians. Well, no, there are Jews also in, uh, in these places, in the West Bank, obviously the settlements. It's Jewish settlements. Um, and, of course, in, in East Jerusalem, there are uh, Israelis and Jews and, and, and other Israelis um, are in these places. But there are Palestinians as well. And so they're depriving them, you know, the very people that they are, are trying to help by doing this, you know, at least uh, making this grandstand to help the Palestinians. They're hurting them. I don't know how much Palestinians like ice cream. I would assume they do. It gets hot in these areas in Israel and these other um, specific areas that they mention. So they are depriving Palestinians of not just Jews, um, or Israelis of ice cream. And so, but what they didn't expect, besides the backlash on, um, on Twitter, what they, and other social media, what they didn't expect is that some supermarkets, this is so cool, <laughs> um, I think so far primarily, well, the ones that I have been able to find out about so far are in New York, but they, probably there are um, supermarkets all over the United States who are, have decided that they are not going to stock Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So who is that hurting? It's not just Jews who go into these supermarkets. Um, and it's hurting everybody who likes to buy ice cream and during the summer yet. It's, it's so absurd. Hate makes people blind. Hate, hate makes people stupid. Um, so, for example... The, an, an owner of um, a supermarket in New York tweeted, our supermarkets have taken action against Ben and Jerry's, which is boycotting Jewish communities that are at the center of a territorial dispute in Israel, including, including the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem, inhabited by Jews for over 3,000 years. Um, then somebody else tweeted, I'm an ice cream fan, but I will never buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream again. They might as well change their name to Hamas and Adolf. Of course, referring to the terrorist group Hamas and Adolf Hitler. So that is a very uh, bad, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, ugly. No, wait, we're up to bad with COVID. It's hard to keep track. Um, this is ugly. This is very, very ugly. Ben and Jerry are ugly. Okay. Um, then, okay, now we're changing this to be the ridiculous. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the ridiculous. And here's the ridiculous, although actually this is pretty ugly too. Uh, you may have heard about how Harry is going to, has, has been actually writing for the past year a tell-all book. And um, he is going to, you know, do an expose on his life and really on the royals. Um, he is, people inside the palace are saying that this is a, going to be the final nail in Harry's coffin. I mean, he has had more, he's like a cat with more than nine, really with at least nine lives. 
Um, but this May is probably going to be the final life. Um, and he's saying he didn't need the Queen's permission to write it. He got $20 million, $20 million. You know, he needs all this money because he's living this outrageously, ridiculously expensive lifestyle uh, in California. And so he needs to support his wife and his two children in the, <laughs> in the style to which they have grown accustomed. So um, it is really ridiculous, really sad, really ugly. <laughs> um, and he is... Piers Morgan, who I love, you know, he he was uh, used to be on, and I'm sure will be invited back. Uh, probably has been already to um, Good Morning Britain. I was on that show um, talking about my terrorism book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists. Oh my, how to protect your child in a time of terror. Unfortunately, Piers wasn't there that day. He was at some international conference. But anyway, he is, he, I love him because he says his mind. And um, he has said about this, Harry's turned the Queen's motto of never complain, never explain, into always complain, always explain, never stop whining. Yes, I call him the Prince of Wines, like, you know, the book, The Prince of Tides. <laughs> and Piers Morgan continues by saying, now she must turn Prince Poison and Princess Pinocchio into plain Mr. and Mrs. Grifter. That is what the Queen has to do. You know, the Queen has tried to turn her, her another cheek, um, but she doesn't, she's run out of cheeks. She's trying to be elegant, as she, as she always is, but this is just too much. It's going to be released in uh, 2022 by Penguin Random House, and, it, you know, you know it's going to be a bestseller. Um, the Queen, the Prince Charles, Prince William, they have been completely blindsided by this, even though he has been writing it uh, for a year. Uh, he's been keeping it undercover. And he says, Harry says, I'm writing this not as the prince I was born, but as the man I have become. Well, that is pretty, pretty unfortunate, the man he has become. You know, this is the same man who did tours of duty in Afghanistan. At one time, he was a really good guy. And now he is just trying to get back at everybody. What this really has to do with is getting back at his father for having an affair with Camilla and leaving his mother. And uh, it also has to do with his being angry, having suspicions that the palace killed his mother, um, you know, in the tragic car accident because, because she was uh, possibly going to marry an heir. What various theories have been brought forth, forth. But he has these personal reasons, and he's trying to bring down the palace, bring down the crown, bring down the monastery. And really, you know... It's really, to some degree, it is, Harry, because uh, these are his psychological issues, but Megan has totally capitalized on them to get him to do what she wants. And this may be the last thing that he gets to do and she gets to do with, it, with any kind of title whatsoever. They've been stripping them of titles, and this could well be the final straw. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.